Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. shapes and sizes, even in vegetables, I guess. Um, it's part of humanity. It's, it's kind of this thing that we have in us. And so it transcends cultures and age groups and socioeconomic status. You can find so many stories if you search online of, of bravery, of, of people who we consider heroes from... from um, from men and women who have served in the armed forces and, and have been acknowledged for very specific acts of bravery to, uh, to, to mom and dads who, who dedicate their entire lives to raise and love and serve a, a child who may have special needs. We can also read about the bravery of Christians who have been persecuted throughout the ages killed, tortured. We know that Stephen in the Bible in the book of Acts was killed for his faith. We know the apostles, history has recorded that they all died a martyr's death because they would not back down and renounce Jesus Christ as their savior. Peter, we're told, was crucified upside down because he did not, uh, he did not feel that he deserved to die in the same manner as Christ died. As we move through the book of Acts, chapter 13 and chapter 14, we see the bravery of Barnabas and Paul. In chapter 13, towards the end, we see that, that uh, persecution is kind of getting stirred up toward them. And they're driven out of this town called Pisidian Antioch. And they just kind of, they kind of move on. And they are not going to allow persecution put pushback, darkness, stop them from what God has called them to. They are standing in the gap with the sense of bravery that can only really come in that context from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they begin in chapter 14 to make their rounds. They go to Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and they're preaching the gospel. And the darkness wants to push back against them because the darkness has been put on notice that Jesus has come to town, is fulfilling, fulfilling what God spoke about years, thousands of years before. And so we are going to pick up the story, uh, Acts chapter 14. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others sided with the the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it, and they fled to 
Laconium, Laconia, that place right there in the city of Lystra and Derby, and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. You know, when I, when I prepare for these, um, you know, when they have the, those horrible names in the Bible that you can't pronounce, I do so well when I'm at my desk. As soon as I get in front of you all, you just suck the smooth out of me, and I can't even pronounce the name. But I digress. Anyway, so um, this city that they end up in, Iconium, it's uh, a very ancient city. Uh, history tells us that it may be older than the city of Damascus. And there was not a, a very large Roman presence in the city, and so it, it still had the feel, like it maintained the feel of, of Greek culture. And this whole city, including the, the town council, which was kind of the ruling party of the city, they were continually kind of pushing back against Roman rule and, and Roman authority. And we see that Paul and Barnabas, they get there, and they, they, they come through the gate, and they have some success. They, they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. But it didn't take very long at all for the darkness to begin to push back. Verse 3 says, so Paul and Barnabas spent, oh, I'm sorry, um, but the Jews who refused to uh, believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So pushback almost coincides with the presentation of the gospel and people believing. But as the battle heats up, what do the two of these guys do? They spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. And he confirmed, God confirmed the message by allowing them to perform signs and wonders. It's a very common theme among warriors for Christ. Those who are going to take a stand, in, uh, empowered by the Spirit of God, they will not run at the first sign of trouble. In fact, this is what Paul would tell the, the church in Corinth. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. Paul understood what it meant to preach the gospel. He was becoming accustomed to being challenged. People pushing, pushing back on him. It seems that uh, wherever he is beginning to go, Satan wanted a different message. In fact, he just wanted to close down the message altogether. I guess I had this sense that uh, he's trying a new strategy with Paul and Barnabas. He gets them kicked out of cities and, and, and they get, uh, that people are stirring up uh, contention against them. But he hasn't been able to quiet them down. And so maybe he thinks, well, let me, let me try something different. And we're going to see what different strategy that the enemy might be taking up. But now Paul and Barnabas, they were... They were born again, but they weren't born last night. And so when, when things start to get a little bit more intense for them as they were divided and there was a, a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them, they decided to flee to a different city. Now, you have to understand they're not running out of fear or cowardice. Getting 39 lashes from the Jews is very different from being stoned because stoning someone had one 
um, deliberate consequence that they were looking for, and that was to kill them. And it would seem that Barnabas and Paul, they understood that they can probably preach the gospel much better if they were actually alive than dead. And so they don't run back to Antioch. They don't run back to the comfort of the church, to the comfort of their friends. They run to a new town, and they begin to to uh, spread the gospel, to preach Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus the only way, the only way for your sins to be forgiven. And so they, now they've been kicked out of two cities, but that's not going to slow them down. And you know, as I think about these guys, and, and if you read through Paul, I would have to imagine that th- this persecution, this, this being pushed around, this being kicked out or having to leave cities has to cause some tension in their spirit. Like, you know, being in ministry, you can understand that, that uh, when things don't go bad, even though we might have a smile on our face, it, it, it takes its toll every once in a while when, when the pushback becomes so intense. But if you read Paul's writings, he has this... Um, this underlying sense of, of anticipation and what God is doing and, and joy. Even in the midst of persecution, he maintains this sense of, of joy. Ultimately, he's an optimist. But he's also very much a realist. And he understands human nature. And he can see and understand and interpret the signs of the time, and he understands and responds accordingly to the situations that he finds himself in when he's in the context of of other people. He would write this to the Philippian church. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so Paul is experiencing the ups and the downs of ministry. But like I said, he, he maintains this, this joy, this foundational joy that he has been called by God for this very purpose. And he knows that it's not going to be easy. He has learned to navigate the realities of the world and to be content. And this contentment, this uh, ability to navigate through all is based upon the Lord who gives him the strength to do so. So they're off in this place uh, called uh, Lystra. History would tell us that um, it's kind of a rural population, a rural city. Um, Many or most of the people are uneducated there. They spoke their own language. Uh, I read where uh, some historians said or call them half-barbaric. The Romans were in full swing of ruling the land. The Greeks were in charge of the commerce. And the Jewish people, they had very, very little influence in this city. And so we'll pick up the story. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up, and he began to walk. Paul is out there, and he's doing some open-air preaching. And he sees this guy. And he can see by his 
uh, by, the, by the way maybe he was holding himself, by the way he was looking, by the expression on his face, that God was on the move in his life. There was something about him that, that led Paul to take notice of him. And Paul noticed that the Holy Spirit and the grace of God was active and there was something churning inside him. You know, if, if you've ever been involved in any type of teaching or preaching ministry, you begin to be able to tell who God is starting to grab a hold of by just by the way, by the way they look. And you know, you can, always, you can also tell who didn't go to bed early last night because their head is bobbing like this. But, but that's just, that never happens here. Um, but so... <laughs> I know who you are. Anyway, so I digress. Um, so he can see it in his face. He can, he can see that God is on the move in this man's life. And there's no pomp. There's no circumstance. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't really pray. He just acts in the authority of the Holy Spirit. And he tells the guy, stand up. And the guy stands up. He's healed. This man who could not walk from birth is, is healed. The power of God on display it's, it's, it's giving life to what Paul would write to the Corinthian church in his first letter. He said, I didn't come with fancy talk, but I came with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul and God are making sure that the gospel message isn't just built upon uh, human wisdom or just mere words, but by the power of God on display for the world to see. And the people, the people are amazed. I mean, could you imagine the, the, the sense, the feeling of seeing a man who has never walked his entire life just stand up and, and begin to walk? But not only is this just a glorious sight to behold, but it's going to actually cause Barnabas and Paul some problems. In Lystra, there is an ancient legend that said uh, Zeus and Hermes, Greek gods, they came down into the city uh, manifest as just human beings, just a couple of guys. And they went around the hill country and, and throughout the, the city, and they were looking for a place to stay. They wanted a meal, and they wanted a place to stay for the night. They went to a thousand homes. This is what the legend says. They went to a thousand homes, and each and every one of those homes rejected them, sent them on their way. And so they finally come to a little stick and mud hut where a uh, very old husband and wife lived. And in their poverty, in their having nothing, they invite Zeus and Hermes in and they give them a meal and they put them up for the night. Well, as a thank you, these two, this is legend now, as a thank you, Zeus and Hermes, they take this little mud and stick hut and they create a, a temple. And they make the husband and wife priests and priestess, a priest and a priestess. And when they die, legend says that they were immortalized by, a, by the, uh, the appearance of a, a great oak tree and a great linden tree to represent the sacrifice that the two made for these Greek gods. And so I get this sense that the people don't want to make that same mistake again. And so what happens freaks out Paul and Barnabas. 
When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now, I have to imagine that Paul and Barnabas really didn't quite possibly understand at first what was taking place. Because they know and they must have experienced that when God, when the power of God is manifest through the Holy Spirit, that it kind of churns people up and they get a little bit excited. But, but maybe they had a sense that this felt just a little bit different. They probably didn't understand the language. Again, they had their own language, and so Greek wasn't spoken. And so they, we'll see that they, that they ripped their clothes as, as a sign of, no, you're, 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 are, um, you're, in, you're, you're, what's the word I'm looking for? It's sacrilege to worship us. We're just, we're just men. Let's just go to that section of the story, won't we? But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes. See, I told you so. And rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go on their way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He he has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. They are trying to tell these people, we are not gods. You don't worship us. You've been worshiping these false gods for your entire lives, and we're trying to tell you about the one true living God. And they're just pressing into this, trying to divert their attention to Christ and not to themselves. This, this living God, he provides everything that you have. He provides you rain so your crops come in season. And, they, and they're having a hard time. They are not listening to Paul and Barnabas. In fact, they probably, uh, it, it stopped them from presenting to them the entire gospel message of who Jesus Christ is. It seems that this town and all these people, they want to worship this God on their own terms, in their own traditions. They, they come with these uh, presumptions of this is the way we've always done it, and so this God's just going to fit right in, and we're just going to worship this God the way we want to. And the tension for us today is that happens all of the time. People create a God based upon what they like, based upon how comfortable they would like to remain. The danger is creating a God that fits into my schedule. He's not going to require anything of me, and yet I'm going to get everything I ask for because he's God. Too many people in the church I'm talking about 
decide that they're going to follow Jesus the way they want to follow Jesus and not the way Jesus said, this is the way to follow me. And he's going to be good with that because Jesus loved everyone. And so we, we take this, this Christ and we whittle him down into something that's comfortable for us. We shape him into our own image. And as we do that, he always remains at this very safe distance. He doesn't get too close. We don't want him too close. We want God shaped in our image, missing the fact that we have been made in his image. It's part of the study that we're doing on on Wednesday night, Driven to Eternity. We don't get to make Jesus into our image. In fact, that was part of the process that put him on the cross. Jews wanted a Messiah. They wanted to be free from Roman rule. They wanted to be, be free from oppression. They were looking for a militant leader, a king, to come in and squash Rome so they can once again be in this place of prominence. Jesus wasn't fitting that mold. In fact, there is one instance where Jesus is speaking and he knows what's churning in their hearts. They want to make him king, but he's not the king that they expected. By the time his last uh, week of life comes upon him, he's, he's heading into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and people are ecstatic and they're, they're throwing palm branches down on the road. They're, they're shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But see, Jesus isn't fitting their expectations, especially for the Jewish leaders. And so they churn the people up and, and, they, and they poison their minds. And by the end of that week, those shouts of Hosanna turn to shouts of crucify him. See, Jesus didn't fit the molds. You know, I, I believe that if you were just to go and just start asking people about Jesus, just any, any average person on the street or above average people too, you will get some very interesting responses. But the majority of those people, they would say things like, he was a great teacher. He, he really showed us how to love people. He was a a great self-help guru, the greatest salesman that ever lived. Man, he sold Christianity like no one's business. Jesus was a fantastic leader. In fact, his leadership should be studied for future generations. And you know, if we leave Jesus right there, good teacher, self-help, leadership, if we leave him right there, everything will be fine. Because we, we just keep him at, at this, this distance. And see, in that mindset, people have made Jesus into their own image. Jesus is my savior. He has saved me. And plus the fact I haven't killed anyone lately, and he loves me. And so I'm not going to hell because Jesus is my savior. And I'm good with Jesus being my savior. But all too many people in the church, they embrace Jesus as savior, but they keep him as Lord as far away from their lives as they can. 
because with Lord, there is a submission of our lives before him and to him. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter four, uh, chapter four, verse 14, and it, it's about the gate, right? And he said, there's, there's a wide gate that leads to destruction. Many people find it, but there's a small gate. Enter through the small gate that leads to life. And then he says, but only a few will find it. It's a very dangerous place to be when we start making Christ into our own image worshiping him, coming to him the way we think we want to instead of what God says we should. And these people, they're not um, only entering with this um, presumptions of how to do God, but they also raise Barnabas and Paul up and they put them on a pedestal. And again, this too happens in the church, especially with with social media and video blogs and and all the uh, Christian writers. Believe me, I'm I'm not against Christian writers. Come look at my office someday. You will see I love to read. But we don't elevate people to a place of, to the place of Jesus. That's called idolatry. I always say when, when I begin to, uh, the first session of, of uh, any Bible study that I facilitate, I will say this. I will say this book, um, and, and we're going through a book, so maybe not a Bible study, but a book study. This book was written by a person. And so we do not have to agree with everything written in that book because it's only written by a person. Maybe a, a, a lover of Jesus, somebody that we look up to, but it's not the word of God. This is the only book that we should be in complete agreement with all the time, even if it's difficult. And it's dangerous that when we elevate our favorite pastor because we have every sermon downloaded on our phone and we have access to it all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I do it. But not to the place of Christ. And I've seen that uh, that sense of idolatry um, wrecking havoc in people's lives. I have seen so many people, I've experienced myself, that I have been hurt or offended by a person in the church, by a pastor. And not only do they walk away from church, but they walk away from God. And so their, their faith has been shipwrecked. If... if if people are walking away from the Lord because they were hurt by a Christian in church or they were offended or hurt by a pastor, they've put their hope in the wrong thing. They've put their faith in the wrong thing. I heard, I heard a saying. I said, uh, not going to church because there's hypocrites there is like not going to, gym, to the gym because there's overweight people there. And so to raise up and to elevate somebody before God, over God, as these people are doing with Paul and Barnabas, that's why they're freaked out. We are just men. Don't worship us. We're trying to point you to Jesus, the Messiah. But all this worship for them, it doesn't last very long. 
because they are going to move from being worshipped to them being killed. It's the fickleness of humanity. So let's look. Verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him, from out, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. He said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So Paul, he gets stoned. They think he's dead. They drag him out of the city. I'm sure he must have looked horrible. Stoning was a very bloody way to die. As I was reading this, I wondered... When they, when they threw the first rock, did, did Paul's mind go back to when he watched Stephen being stoned right in front of him and he was agreeing with the crowd that this man had to die? But whatever. They drag him out, his lifeless body, but he comes to. And instead of running away, he goes back to the city. Paul will not be pushed aside from the mission that God has sent him on. It's a Holy Spirit kind of bravery. He will not stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, he talks about this whole experience later on to his, his young uh, protege, Timothy. There it is. He says, Persecu- uh, they're going to suffer persecutions and sufferings. And the kinds of things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Now notice he doesn't say everyone who tries to plant a church. He doesn't say anyone who evangelizes or preaches the gospel. He doesn't say that anyone that goes on mission trips or goes to do service projects. Anyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. A godly life is going to get you in trouble with this world. When you have given yourself to him fully, when you have moved from him just being your savior to submitting to him as your Lord and living your life in that flow, in that stream, everyone who does that will be persecuted. You will stand out from the way the world lives. And people won't like it. The darkness hates the light. Well, verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 21 through 28, it talks about how uh, they move on and they hit all these other cities and they're preaching the gospel and they're winning many to Christ. And then they kind of circle back and they go and and they're encouraging the church, stay faithful, stay faithful, stay on task. Don't give in. 
if you're trying to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Accept this as the norm. More and more people coming to faith because they would not back down. They stood strong in the face of persecution and darkness and they advanced the light of Jesus Christ. And see, the world needs Christians to live fearlessly like that in the world. That we would not be swayed to keep, to keep quiet. That we would not just stay cloistered here in our little safe church, but we would get out there and speak the words of life to a world that is dying, literally dying in the darkness. The world needs fearless Christians to speak in the authority that God has given us by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be grace to a graceless world, to show mercy to those who are merciless, to love those who are on the fringe and are considered unlovable. Oftentimes, we pray as Christians for revival. That God would stir once again. That the word of God would take, uh, would go back to where it should be. The place of prominence in people's lives. We pray for revival. But I'm not sure revival is going to happen until the church takes serious the word of God. See, when the word of God becomes our priority, when we are all in, the living word of God begins to transform us. And we get that Holy Spirit bravery. I'm not talking about you being a jerk. If you are a jerk for Jesus, just don't tell him you go here. There's a great church over there that you can tell him you went to. I'm talking about standing fearless because you stand on the living word of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Not even the depths of hell itself can stand against us. All in. It's very easy to make Jesus my Savior. Are you willing to make him your Lord? Are you willing to come to him the way that he calls you to? And not with your presumptions, not with uh, trying to create him into your image. So he doesn't ask too much of you, and he's not too, you know, he's not all in your business and in your face. Are you willing to put your hand down? And allow him to come right inside of you. Are you willing to submit to him as Lord? Because that's all in. You can't have a kind of Lord. It doesn't work. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. Each and every one of us got a long way to go. But if we are aware of it, and we're pressing into it on a daily basis. 
you will see the blessings of God not only flow into you, but they will flow out of you. Twelve dudes changed the world. Why? Because they were all in. They were all in. They stood firm on the word of God. That's our invitation. Father, thank you. Thank you for these two men that we have their story. Thank you that they are an example of of bravery. Holy Spirit bravery. That they would not be pushed back by the darkness, but that with the light of Christ, they were more than conquerors. Help us to be more than conquerors. Help us to rise above our circumstances. And that the kingdom would be our focus. And that Jesus will be Lord and Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. There's a whole spread of food out there. Go eat up. We'll see you next week.